0: Welcome to the TCU podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Andre Culliton, and today, today we really have our first foray into some heavy, heavy trauma. Uh, which, you know, upon its release, it was a full no thank you from me. But here we are today on the TCU pod, and I viewed it. I, I've seen a, a really traumatic movie within the past twenty four hours, so. Uh, as a trans person, I might be a little bit off, but we watched The Danish Girl, so what can you expect? Released in 2015, starring very cis actor Eddie Redmayne, Alicia Vikander doing work, Matthias Schoonart, Ben Wishaw, a gay hero, and Amber Heard for, like, five minutes as a ballerina who you can visit virtually anytime. I really loved that about her character. It's open hours at the uh, at the studio. Written by Lucinda Coxon, based on the book by David Ebershoff, and directed by Tom Hooper of the sung-live Les Mis, the Danish girl swiped a couple of Oscars for the two leads, so people really thought you had to act the fuck out of this situation. Truthfully, it was an upsetting experience, I have to admit right at the top, but I'm excited to unpack all of that with our guest. As they say in Boston, irregatless. So they are a best-selling author, co-authoring the first book on LGBTQ plus business. Uh, I guessed it on their Transsection podcast, and now they have their recently launched Empaths Revolution Pod, an empath themselves who offers a slate of services geared towards queer empaths. So exciting. And it's exciting, as always, to talk to you today. It's my dear friend, Harris Hill. Welcome, Harris.
1: Hey, Jonathan, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited because films are like one of my favourite things in the world.
0: Films bring people together and cinema is a language that we can all speak and it's really expensive to make. So there's this (laughs) weird, weird thing where things, uh, artists rising to the top kind of has a a bit of an influence on our queer stories. And that's sort of one of the things that we talk about on the pod. We obviously were not babies. We have been around for a few decades now. And so we've seen a few iterations of queer, gay, trans film as people and as trans people, as non-binary people. We can see a change for sure, I think, but not really, <laughs> not really a stratospherical kind of thing. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, it's really <laughs> difficult because I mean, we we will get more into the film obviously, but when the Danish girl came out, there was quite rightfully uh, so much discourse around how many mistakes had been made. And yet there was still a small portion of me that was like, but we're in a film. And I know that the bar is low and it's it's odd because I know the bar is low, but at the mm. same time, it didn't change the fact that I was like, "Wow, this is like a major movie, like in the mainstream that everybody's watching." Yes. and I was like, "It's it's an incremental improvement in the situation, but it's still yeah, it's weird. It's a really juxt- weird juxtaposition between this is a this is an amazing moment in history and also what a fucking car crash." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a cock up, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it's a little bit disappointing, but I, I agree with you too at the top. I mean, it's a great, it's a uh, Oscar bait, really high quality film. And a lot of people saw it. That's problematic in and of itself. It's a very white film, etc. But this is a good time to hop into our nostalgia scan, seeing as we're talking about our feelings on the film already. This basically is a new technology, Harris. I don't know if you're familiar, but basically it's just an opportunity for us to be honest and have the scanner rate us from zero to a hundred. The kind of honesty you would get, say, firing your publicist and being real about why Newt Scamander is playing the Danish girl, that kind of honesty. So this is powered by real tea. Let's ask ourselves, how much nostalgia do we really have for the Danish girl? Would you like me to go first?
1: Yeah, you go first. Do a demonstration. Of course. Scary. So basically,
0: you know, I have zero uh, nostalgia built up for the film. I think my nostalgia, the only thing pinging the meter here is that I have a lot of nostalgia for the Academy, which is problematic also, like very like uh, about my childhood and what I thought, you know, made good movies or whatever. So there's a little bit of the Academy Darling thing that I'm like, ooh, but they liked it. And that's kind of throwing a dog a bone to the way that they made this film and really had it be probably the biggest Academy Darling trans film, bigger than Dallas Buyers Club. You know, I'm, I'm pretty on the fence about Eddie Redmayne, too. I do not see a lot of difference between the performance here and the one in those terrible Fantastic Beasts films. I really don't. Even that film that he did about Marilyn Monroe that had, like, Michelle Williams in it and Emma Watson, like, it's a really small film. It's the same performance a lot of ways. So I'm not really, like, he's not building up my nostalgia either. I'm going to give this a 5 out of a 100. <laughs> what about you harris scanning
1: yeah i've got to say i don't there's so much there's so much about this film that kind of breaks my heart as a trans person because i feel like this is this is going to be the um you know the general population's first introduction to something that could have been done way more sensitively and is still kind of focused around sort of marginalized trauma as as you know, as a start, not to mention the casting and everything else. I also felt that the the focus on the character becoming the woman's self was so, it it was still so performative in the way it was done. You know, you see uh, Lily learning um, how to sort of move her hands and gesticulate and things like that and I was like Ugh. <laughs> the whole movie it was and I was like yeah the, the, you know I guess the mannerism but I I think the really big thing that is missed over and over again is that this is not a social or medical journey nearly as much as it right. is a, a, an emotional a spiritual and a mental one right. and the amount of euphoria and joy and you know just the, the confidence, I mean, Jonathan, you and I have seen it with all of our trans friends and probably in ourselves as well. The moment that people really get to be themselves, it's like a light comes out of them. Yeah. And I just don't think that Eddie really even understood that or, or, and I don't think there was any opportunity to portray it in the film. I just don't think that that even existed. You know, it was all about... um the pain of the wife, which I didn't buy and I don't think was probably true to life in the first place. And, you know, the medical stuff and then the the social stuff. And I just think it played into all of these negative things. But I will say there was one moment that since its release has become really, really has actually touched me. Hmm. And it's the moment that Gerda undresses the main character. And finds
0: the first time, yeah
1: yeah and finds mm-hmm. the the sort the of chemise nightgown. or whatever the nightgown underneath yes and has this moment of realization and then changes the way that she touches lily yeah that and that moment and the relief on lily's face of like i'm being touched the way that i'm supposed to be touched like i've i've had that moment with yeah. an ex of mine and there was something really magical about that moment of going Oh, I know how I'm supposed to do this, and then you do it, and then the the euphoria on the other person's face and in their body is like next level.
0: Yes. I agree, and I think, you know, the the film does definitely make it seem like the transition is 50% medical, 50% hands, honestly, like none of this emotional <laughs>
1: jazz hands.
0: How's your scan looking then?
1: Yeah, I think I would still be under 10. I'd mm. say maybe a six, yep. six or a seven. I think there were a few good queer moment and affirming moments in there. A few, yes. yeah, that were emotive in in the way that I think most of us can relate to, yeah, as trans people. But any more than that, I, yeah. I don't think there's
0: much else there. Well, that's probably higher than the reading that our trans stars went off when (laughs) Eddie came across the screen. Just a very lifeless, (laughs) less than one on that one. All right, so let's get into the synopsis. And I want to preface this by saying that, gosh, I had no real understanding of the true story. And after I watched it, I went on IMDb and saw that the actual tagline says a fictitious love story loosely inspired by the lives of Danish artists Lily and Gerda so you know they're they're up up front with uh, the interpretation of it and even the fact that Lily was going through some crazy stuff pressures that even her diaries um, might have made you know her uh, an uh, unreliable narrator in some ways because of those harrowing experiences. So this is really an interpretation, and they had a lot of leeway to make a lot of choice because of that. And so that's sort of one of the things that I just want to keep in mind as we go through this. Feel free to chime in on anything here. I'm going to, by the way, I'm also going to preface this as we usually do with a pronoun. Little note, I wrote this synopsis... From the perspective that Lily is always Lily, I know there's some people who are like, well, yeah, no, you yeah, can't do that, especially in a script. I've had that in a script, having somebody that comes out as non binary towards the end and the confusion between referring to them with the proper pronouns until you do that. There's all this stuff. I think there's a lot of validity because it reminds us that that's who they truly are through the whole thing. <laughs> Alright, so we meet Lily, she's pre-transition, she's a painter, and she's male-presenting. She's AMAP. Uh People are crazy about her art, not so much about her wife, um, her wife's art. Literally, the, this is the first line of the movie, um, Your husband's so great. Don't you wish you could paint like him? That's like literally the first thing that somebody says to Gerda. Gerda is Lily's wife, Alicia Vikander. This is sort of a really interesting way to start it at the point of where some privilege would exist anyway, um, with, between genders in the art world. So, uh, Lily then goes to see, uh, Ula, who is this Dancer. I was so confused in this moment just because Lily goes to see Ula for the first chat, chat at the pole. And it feels like there's something, it feels like Lily is staring at Ula. I guess later you kind of realize it's because of her female form and admiring it. But at first, kind of, it's like a possible skis moment uh, where she's just staring at her. Uh, a male gaze almost, which is so interesting, within the camera and using a cinematic term. It's a, it's a male gaze shot. Gerda is uh, then taking a painting client and she's totally cool. I think this is the, the first scene where you go, oh, Gerda's so cool. She's, you know, my new best friend. She is a good painter. Um, she's in control. She's in control of the dog. She's got her space. She's got her look. She's an awesome lady, but she's struggling. Her work isn't getting shown. And there's some relationship tension because of this. Lily is clearly just more successful and Greta's doing these portraits. She does portraits. She continues to do portraits. It's the subject matter that changes and they're just like, ho oh, hum, you got a guy here and a girl here and whatever. So they don't want to show it. It's not interesting. So uh, she, she barks at Lily but then excuses herself for being on her period. So we sort of see that there's this is like a healthy relationship in a lot of ways in terms of the gender dynamic. Uh, The wife is able to be open with the quote-unquote husband in the scenario at this point in time of history. So this isn't like the worst marriage in the world. Nobody's really suffering here. In fact, they have a great connection. I want to be part of this. I ship this. So uh, this is the moment we're gonna ask Lily to do her a little favor. Just pose with these stockings and they're they're like flats, right? They're sort of like yeah. little pink flats or or like cream colored. Uh and this is the awkward first moment step of transition. I cannot whittle my moment down I tried to whittle down to my stalking moment in thinking about this what was my stocking moment and I think I don't have one that's very specific I think it's probably over a few moments uh, do you have one
1: Harris? I I realized that I was like trans non-binary just because I looked up a word that I didn't know and it led me to a whole page of words and then I went yeah that's me <laughs> like there wasn't any like oh my god like you know it's not like I was taking a picture with somebody and it was windy and somebody's hair blew across my face and I saw myself with a beard or anything. Like, it was, yes. just, it was just an internal knowing or just, you know, somebody gave me the words and I went, yeah, that's it. And, you know, that was it. I mean, I've had many moments of sort of dysphoria and euphoria and yes. working it out over time, but there wasn't...
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though, because the stocking and shoe moment is supposed to be true to Lily's story, that that was her right. awakening.
0: Right. And and from a different perspective in time, perhaps this sort of uh, unlocking with a key sort of feeling of that moment is more true because of the the way that she was able to approach it with the facts that she knew, the societal realities that she understood. Those are things that are so multi-layered and it's hard to unpack that in a cinematic moment, but those are all things that contribute. So yeah, I agree. There's just little, little stalking moments here and there. But then when you, you know, have one for real, I believe it too. I'm sure there are people even of our time that could say they had that experience. So then they're, you know, at this party, sort of this moment of laughing at, at, at gayness, at these two, gay guys that they know are gay. There's this little moment um, where everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, but it's, there's not a lot of hate. It's a funny kind of light moment, which doesn't really, doesn't get fully unpacked, but I think it kind of informs us of why Henrik is not so shocking to Lily later. There in the art world, people must have been gay, <laughs> you know. Come on, we come in droves. So this this moment leads to a cute little moment between Gerda and Lily, and everybody's like, oh yeah, they about to fuck, like they're gonna go home and do it. And that's exactly what they do. They come home and they undress, and this is the moment that you were talking about, about what Lily, under her male-presenting getup, she is wearing this uh, nightdress that was new that she'd seen Gerda in. And Gerda is chill. Gerda is working it through. You can see so much happening behind this actress's eyes. It's really remarkable, but she is going towards this in a open way, open to what the experience is going to be. I think later we realize that she was thinking it would be more of a game, but she also knows Lily so well. So it's kind of not... It's kind of in, interesting to think that maybe she did understand the world of it from the first moment. And then what we really see is her coming to terms with unpacking that in the public eye in a more outward way. But uh, they they have sex. They They seem to be connecting in the way that they always did, but with this new element. So there's both their old relationship and this new element are present here. It's a really beautiful scene. Lily wakes up with her, her arm draped in a feminine way. Um, it seems like over her um, chest all the time. That That's sort of one of her signature moves. I'm sure that this was in a lot of the paintings, which is why there uh there is gerda sketching her in um in this nice morning light and she's looking she's looking more feminine just in this light the movie is trying to sort of i think infer that something has changed in her and unlocking has occurred in her overnight and it's coming out of her exterior so i do think that this is sort of a beautiful moment in terms of trans subject matter, but also again, I would be interested to see like how how much even in the diaries, how much this is in this one moment
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh it seems it seems like uh maybe that the the kind of thing that she's talking about. I just don't know, even with their, with their relationship, the way it was, it's like, there's no trepidation really here. That's, that's sort of an element where I'm like, she's just euphoric, um, in these moments. And I, I can't feel it from Eddie as much as I would like, Mm. I think even I had like in my most euphoric of moments honestly something that killed it you know so I just I think that's a little more true but
1: yeah and I was I was gonna say as well actually as a an ex-makeup artist watching this film in particular I mean I always notice people's makeup on screen but I noticed how they had changed Eddie Eddie Redmayne's uh, makeup gent like really gently even when the character was kind of presenting as Einar there was really subtle makeup changes to the point that well later on in the film even when Lily is still presenting as as Einar at some points then by that point except for lipstick looks completely feminine. (laughs) I was like, come on.
0: Yeah, by the time she gets beat up, it's like, I, I yeah, there's a definite Clark Kent Superman leap of <laughs> faith happening here where I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is ridiculous. So, you know, this is a, the, but the the drawing thing is a big moment. I just want to point out, because this is so, such a part of the story in terms of Gerda, this, uh, this is unlocking something in Gerda too. That's a big point of the movie that yeah. she has found her muse, um so she she uh starts sketching her feverishly basically she starts sketching and then painting she's turning them out. Uh, Lily likes the sketches. She, there's even like a, I love how they put that small scene in there where basically you see her own femininity femininity reflected in an outward material, which I think is a very big big moment for a trans person as well. And she's like, yeah, I look good. You know, they're going to this party and Lily doesn't want to go. So here's the here's the big moment of decision. You know, we come up against this in most of the movies on the pod where they they really push play. Uh, you don't want to come to the party, so you'll go in disguise, presenting as female. This is the classic gender montage now of learning performative gender. We see it a a lot in individual scenes that are unpacked in this movie, but there is actually still a proper montage, just like in She's the Man, just like in Mrs. Doubtfire, looking at other women and um, mimicking what they do. And Gerda is fully on board for this. She's still in this headspace that this is not something permanent. This is for the party etc. So then they go to the party. Immediately she's like, ah, no, 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 which is also a trope of those movies. The last, last ditch regret. But she goes in. This is something she really does want to do. People, they feel like people are staring. They're not sure. There's just a lot of, like, paranoia basically, and it's pretty, pretty warranted. And then uh, Lily meets hein- Henrik when Gerda sort of goes off because Lily's just being a wallflower. And Lily gets approached and Henrik asks her to go down to a room alone and do whatever. Chat be alone says, We're we're the same. I think we're, you know, on the level. Don't ever fall for that line. So, you know, they go downstairs and this is this oh, this is a such big moment of Lily. Having someone call her Lily, she believes that Henrik doesn't know that she is the same person um, as, quote-unquote, Ina. And they kiss. And this is from this is from the preview, right? The moment they kiss, and Gerda sees it. Oh, my God. And it's this big, oh, my God, moment. A nosebleed erupts, uh, and they have to hightail it out of there. It's kind of this validation moment that you see, even with Lily being ensconced in her relationship at this point, in it, in the relationship, loves her wife, that this this validation makes her cheat. I bet that's true, right? I bet that part of it maybe is true. I'm not going to read a book for this podcast guys. Um somebody <laughs> tell me somebody tell me if it's true, but I just um and we don't really know again. But the idea of of her doing this within an hour getting sort of sucked into the identity it's hard to watch just because it it does remind me of some moments where people people uh, think that trans people are duplicitous based yeah. on the idea of two different, very um, di- very different life experiences sometimes that people just go, oh, and you walked through that door. And it's not even like that. But people think that you stole something by being on one side of it, whatever they yeah. say.
1: <laughs> I would say as well about that scene is that I felt that Lily was very objectified in that moment and, I felt very uncomfortable for her. And it kind of felt like she was in this this tussle between, you know, wanting to be validated and really thinking, oh my God, he's really seeing me as me. And then also this moment of like, oh, I don't know if I want to be kissed. And she says afterwards, you didn't ask my permission. And he said, but I didn't want to risk you saying no. And I was like, ugh. Not okay, not
0: okay. No, and you
1: know, I, I think that, you know i have experienced many many people from our community having that validation for the first time from somebody who's potentially romantically and or sexually interested in us so there is something to that for some people but you know this lily is not some very young impressionable teenager right you know at this point she's i mean in in the diaries you know she talks very much about Einar and Lily being two very separate people. You know, that's fair enough, and that's not for us to to kind of speculate on. But at the same time, you know, this is a person who has the memories and the experiences of being this very well-respected and successful painter with incredible social standing. Yeah. And I don't know how comfortable I feel about kind of depicting her as being... This very kind of impressionable and unempowered character. I don't right. know how much I buy it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it seems like a big leap. And I do, I know that she referred to herself that way in the diaries, but it's also okay to pick apart what society, societally made her appro- sure. approach things that way. So, you know, we're talking about her as somebody who had enough fame and good paintings to ripple through history and be talked about and have her diaries published it's already a point of privileged privilege even after her death i do like the idea that she's being pulled apart by by these areas but is it ever really addressed later what henrik did the nature of their relationship uh, there's just a little bit of a lack of nuance. I think it comes through to me more as he does provide that validation. She continues to see him and it's simplified when it's gotta be super complicated. So I think, I think the actor cap captures that in a moment, but again, not a lot of um, real unpacking here. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that, that happens and, and Gerta sees it. So it's right there out in the open exactly what happened between you and Sandor last night?
1: Nothing. It was nothing. Did he know it was you? It wasn't as simple as that.
0: I watched him kiss you, Einar, so could you please make an effort?
1: He may have known who I was, but I wasn't always me. me, me. So there, was a, there was a moment when I was just Lily, and I think that he could see that.
0: And then there's this moment where Lily goes to what I termed as the public wardrobe that everybody has access to. It's, it, it's some, some sort of playhouse, but this is the tucking scene. We see Lily talk for the first time. I think it's, you know, uh, definitely helpful to have cis audiences see any kind of representation of this. Um, it's full frontal, but also there's something that seems so unnecessarily, um, it's just, it seems terrible to do to Lily in some way. Like I don't, I found it hard to watch the scene because I felt bad for the original character. Like I didn't want her to be exposed like that. She wasn't asked if this film was okay. It's not her body, but you know what I mean? I just was like, okay, um, all right, I guess we we do take historical stories and just go, mine now. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're know, not here to defend it. So right around this time, Gerda's on fire. She actually seems kind of unhappy in, a, in some ways with it, but she's like, I hate it, it's perfect. I'm going to make more. Uh, Lily meets up with Henrik. Then this is uh, so that that's just a little thing where you see them meet up. That's not the big scene where he reveals some stuff. Um, but uh, Lily is then back at home, and Kurt is having this hard time. Lily holds her. They are still connected. And then we have the the big thing where <laughs> at Henrik's place, he comes on to Lily. He. Wants to have sex, and then he reveals within it, in this like breathy, oh yeah, I want you, that he knows that Lily and Ina are of the same body, let's say, and he's okay with that. He's a gay man, as we find out later. He's a homosexual guy, but he said he dead names her, which I think he just should have known better. <laughs> But this erupts into a lot of confrontation for Lily in her own understanding of how her presentation is being perceived. She kind of, because of the dual persona thing, she's able to believe in a lot of ways that people really believe that Lily is Ina's cousin. And this is so a moment of shock for her. When Gerda gets home, she finds Lily is, like, a total wreck. She's crying. Um, They still have all this chemistry. And she admits to Gerda that she's been seeing Henrik. Gerda's crushed. Lily then just walks away. (laughs) Okay. Um, She's going to change, but she's got some Scorpio vibes. She's just like... (laughs) she's just like okay anyway i i was seeing him sorry goes to change and she also admits that there was another man which it's tough there is uh then of course the worst scene maybe the worst scene i'm not sure i thought we were really going to see electric shock therapy here i was like i was just crawling in my skin they strap her down Gerda's like, it's going to be over soon. This is going to be great. She wakes up and she's like, you hurt Lily. So she is... She's a survivor. And meanwhile, you know, the sexual relationship between Gerda and her is waning and pretty much going away. The doctors have remarked on this. But it's sort of part of what breaks them of some of their connection even though they're still... It still feels like they're like BFF the entire time. But... Gerda just really wants to connect. This is a person that she's known for so long. She just wants her spouse. Lily, uh, as Ina, races at this point. Races to a nudie place. I was like, what's this scene gonna be? (laughs) She goes, pulls the curtain back, and there's a girl, and then it's more hands. Jazz hands. More ISO dance movements with the hands. And this woman sort of is, like, okay with it, which is a cool moment. She's just like, yeah, okay, you're learning to be a woman. Cool, I'll, like, help with that. The woman touches her vagina, and Lily mimics this hand movement and kind of has a bottom dysphoria moment. So we see that Lily's bottom dysphoria is, like, a huge thing for her. At this point, Gerda reaches out to Hans because she's like, "I need somebody who knows, and you kissed him, so you know, this is, please um, help me." As Lily has to embrace this new identity as as herself, her painting career suffers, which is part of the tragedy. So you know, Lily spends the night for the first night with Gerda. This is a big thing. <clears throat> she hasn't actually presented as Lily overnight. So there's this big moment. There's cash flow problems. And uh, Gerda's career is taking off. So they go to Paris, right? Is this Paris? Yeah. And, oh, this is this moment where Gerda sits in the rain. I forgot about this. Gerda sits in the rain, which actually (laughs) is turning into a a, a bit of a trope of these um, trans subject matter movies as well. You don't get pneumonia, if you're trans or dealing with gender non-conforming in your life, even if you're out in the rain for hours, she's the one digesting everything in this movie. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. But there's all this also this kind of feeling here where Lily is embracing her gender so much that it does remind me very truly of something from transition, which is the moment that you understand it. It's... It's like a freight train, you know, a calling in in yourself to the possibility of being true, uh, your true self. And I do think that this is the moment where Lily is like, yeah, uh, you want Ina? I can't do that for you. And she starts to actually define herself instead of doing these things that are like, oh, we have a party, you know, excuses or oh, this is for play. This is the moment where she says, yeah, I think I'm, this is what I want, which is big for her. Mm. So um Gerda lightly cheats with Hans, just a little kiss. And they don't stay to un- unpack, of course, another kiss and run away. See you later. And then she comes back in Lily's and Lily's in Ina clothes. But she says, uh, you know, she doesn't, she's not able to give Gerda what she wants. And that's true, too. Uh, Meanwhile, Ulla tells Gerda about this doctor who wants to help people like Lily. So this is is when Lily does the intersex research. She's looking at this book. She gets beat up by these transphobic assholes. Also a very hard scene to watch. She goes to Hans. He cleans her up. He's like, you can... Everybody's like, for it, for her. But they're like, yeah, go to the doctor. And we're all like, no, (laughs) go to an island. (laughs) Get away from this period of time. So Hans gets her through to a montage of terrible doctors. Bunch of bullshit that they're saying. Schizophrenia, that's the one where she has to escape out of a window. Gerda's like, you know, I don't know a lot, (laughs) but (laughs) there's this other doctor He's not saying anything that uh, these doctors are saying. Let's go see him. And this is when they meet, what's his name, Rasmussen. This doctor is the one who proposes bottom surgery. And of course, <laughs> I love the way that he talks about it. He's like, yeah, so like we have this surgery and another man like yourself, quote unquote, wanted it. What happened to them? Oh. <laughs> ran away before surgery so it actually hasn't been done before lily will be the first person to have this bottom surgery like way to bury the lead this is uh this is the last time that that lily dresses as ina to go to germany it's part of it the germs will look at the papers so she dresses in her drag and then she goes to the nicest surgery place in the world. This is, this reminds me so much of the Krieger Institute. Shout out my top surgery people in Thousand Oaks. Just this idea of like, they know you're coming. They know you're trans and somebody's briefed brief and there's a note, you know, that's, they're just used to it. So um, I'm sure that she's, she might not have been the first trans patient, but I don't know that for a fact. I just know that this is a doctor who is willing to do the surgery. So it's a very nice place. So she goes in. This is the first surgery. So there's going to be two. So the first one is the removal of most of the parts. And then the second one is the creation of the actual vagina. And I think around here is like where we kind of see that, uh, that this is uh, a thing that is so unknown that Lily sort of believes that she might be able to have a baby. So that's difficult but she goes through with it it's it's marginally i guess successful i mean she who who really knows i'm not really sure what i'm not really sure what um how they did this because i just know what modern bottom surgery is and i'm just not sure how
1: i know i've read i had a a read up of what she actually had done and in the movie she only has two operations and in the movie the first operation she has She's like suffering horribly when she wakes up and has this massive fever and then somehow survives it. And then the second one in the movie is where, you know, like it doesn't go so well. But in real life, supposedly she had four or five surgeries and she was actually okay until the very last one. And she didn't die on the operating table. She died, I think, months after her final operation from organ uh, rejection.
0: That really pisses me off um, because of the part that we're going to get to. But obviously, Gerda's really supportive through this. But she, yeah, she pulls through that that fever and they even go home. There's this portion where, I think in between those surgeries in the movie, she gets the, the department store job. So that's in between. So there's this moment of like, she's going to pursue... Life as a woman, quote-unquote, doesn't think that that has to do with painting anymore. For some reason, Ina, to her, was the painter, not Lily. Then she says that she's she wants to go back. It's too early, and Rasmussen has not even examined her. And Gerda's like, uh, what? But... Uh, they go back eventually, you know, she says she's not going to, but of course Gerda is Gerda. So she shows up, she loves to travel alone, I think. So she just shows up and yeah, this is the moment when after the second surgery, which in the movie we're led to believe is, um, is a, is the creation of a vagina, uh, which is what really, really brings the idea of brings Lily so much euphoria but, of course, we get the post-surgery euphoria wake-up. I have, of course, I think along with this this episode, I'll be posting my post-surgery euphoria picture because I wrote in the synopsis when I saw this, oh my god, euphoria, the thing that all trans people will cry when they see this movie. Oh, I'm crying, was crying, crying, crying. She died about three minutes screen time later and I didn't know that I thought it was going to be longer and what you're telling me is that in fact in life it was longer so that's a tough one but she dies in this way that you're led to believe that that this is what made her happy and there's some sort of peace and they double down on that by having the scarf that they've been passing back and forth as this big metaphor, it blows away um, into the area that Lily painted from. So this is a a big jumble, jumble, a little stew at the end where they're like, yeah, stuff. That's the moment when um, you kind of have the most euphoria, honestly, when (laughs) Lily's not even there. So we end on this idea that she's, she's of some other greater plane now. And she's free. And that she did what she wanted to do. So that is whoo, the synopsis of this movie. I do want to start this discussion off with just saying a little bit of a, a little bit of a statement about trans people and trans roles. And I don't and I I'm not I'm not the authority. But I want to say that. There's a lot of competition from really, really famous cis actors and trans people that are up and coming, that would be just as good, if not better, that aren't getting the chance, and that has sometimes to do with getting money for the actual film to be made, and that's the that's a constant argument that has been proven to not be true with many films, you know, uh, even uh, precious. Something like that where that actress, uh, Gabrielle Sidibe, was not (laughs) known at all before and plays an iconic part. And she's then on Empire for a decade. You know, it's like these people are made from some usual hit or something. So um, I want to say if there's any execs listening, don't think that we're not capable of of that. Haven't you seen how crazily interested in our stories people are? But there's also um, a couple issues, too, with trans There's no trans person in this role. And the idea even that there's no actress, no trans actress available that is mid-transition, I find so offensive. Because that really just feeds into the narrative of being done, being cooked by transition. There's so many people who would love this paycheck who are mid-transition and are feeling the thing so much they're in it and you could find that person you can find um, that person if you just look hard enough so I did want to just start off with saying that
1: yeah I would just add that I think you know on the one hand of course acting is is the ability to get into a character and be able to do that but you know we're not all starting with the same material and the same life experiences like there is nothing that is going to replace you could be the best actor in the world but if you have no experience of kind of gender identity journey or anything else you you cannot replace that you just can't and I think as much as people want to kind of argue that oh well as an actor you you could potentially play anyone I'm like well You could but should you just because you can it doesn't mean that you should and I think there's um, a question to be posed about respecting the art itself like how much integrity do you want it to have.
0: There's nothing on screen that reads as well as the real thing like there's really... Cinema verite is as a, as a concept um, in cinema, and you can use it like mumblecore films. You can use it where it's like, okay, this is a fictitious thing, but it feels real. I don't see a lot of justification for this particular part to be in Eddie Redmayne's hands based on his performance. Like, I'm not sitting here going, but then we wouldn't have, you know, hand to the left, whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever he was doing. Jazz hands. I don't think they're I don't think it's even a good enough performance against Alicia Vikander. I think she schooled him in this movie, mm. frankly.
1: Yeah, and I know also I'm not really a fan of his of how he reacted about his role after the movie. I think yeah. there was a quote of him saying if it weren't for me trans issues wouldn't be in the mainstream at all. Like he kind of really credited himself with <laughs> introducing trans issues to the general population and kind of through his efforts alone and okay, you, would ne- yeah. you, you would never have, <laughs> you would never have got that from a trans actor
0: later i believe in recent years he has said something along the lines of now we wouldn't do that that's sort of his journey and also of course being ensconced in harry potter world now He's walking the same tightrope as all of the rest of them. Going, oh, we didn't like it, but she's in her castle, you know, paying us. So there's a bit of an ick just around all of that. You wouldn't get that with a trans You're right. <laughs> yeah, so that's unfortunate, and that's just that's a small element of the movie because that element is present in so many movies that we. That we do, especially on this podcast, that's going to be pretty much a norm. So at some point, as you're, you're going to probably see in this discussion right now, we have to move on from it. That's actually the thing that happens with trans audiences is that we just have to go, okay, um, I like movies. As you know, I'm a, I'm a director, I'm a writer, so I'm looking at the movie to learn from it as well on all these different levels and this is a very fine piece of cinema this is a really really great movie but yeah that's a hard it's just hard to go all right and this movie was actually one of the few about people like me but I'm just gonna pack all that up in a little suitcase and just tuck it away
1: (laughs) I mean even even trans issues aside after this film came out and I just wanted to preface this by saying that I said I was going to boycott this movie publicly. I was like, I'm not going to watch it. But then yeah. curiosity got the better of me. And I thought, do you know what? I want to feel that I'm able to have that discussion when it comes up. So I secretly went to go and see it with a friend. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I walked out of there like, right, okay, well, I've seen it. And um, one of the things that made me angry about it for years after I'd seen it was how straightwashed Gerda was and her reaction to the whole thing was such a cis normative reaction of like this is a massive inconvenience to me I want my (laughs) husband and I'm like oh fuck off like you know you know in in real life um, so she didn't paint portraits in real life so much as she did erotic lesbian art okay she was you know and her sexuality has always been debated and at the very least we can say that it was ambiguous so you know and the fact that you know she she was very open she wasn't one of these conformists who was shocked at the idea that her husband might try stockings on for a picture like she didn't give a fuck and she was encouraging and all the rest of it and there's nothing apparently to suggest that at any point she was then put out or disappointed that Lily was really becoming Lily I mean I don't know maybe I've read something completely different but this this whole idea that she was this kind of underneath she was this kind of traditional cis het woman who ultimately found the whole thing difficult she was only liberal to the point of you know kind of gender expression yeah it's I, just there's nothing to suggest that that was the case as far as I'm aware
0: she's she's supposed to be the us right she's supposed to be the cis audience that understands how the reaction would be like this. Um, We're sitting here going, come on, Gerda, you know, you still love this person. And I kept saying, why don't they just be in a lesbian relationship? They don't even need to like, they could probably live sort of a reclusive life as painters. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying this would have solved all their problems, but within the relationship, God, like, I I couldn't really wrap my mind around how she could both simultaneously be, like, so hung up on those particular in- instances, those those little bits of language that she used. I need to see know. Let me help, please. I need my husband. Can you get him? I can't. I need to talk to my husband. I need to hold
1: my husband. need him.
0: And then still have that look in her eye like, this is my person.
1: Yeah. Well, in real life, of course, they moved to Paris. They were married for a very long time. Yeah. You know, the film was, was kind of gave us the impression that they were married for maybe six or seven years. Yeah. In real life, they were married for 26 years. They married in 1904 and Lily kind of had this awakening four years into their marriage yeah and kind of did quote-unquote cross-dressing thing for four years until it was then revealed that Gerda's muse was actually her quote-unquote husband and so they escaped and then they lived they went and moved to Paris in 1912 and lived there for many years so that they could live as a queer couple although that what they didn't they didn't advertise it but whilst they were there lily apparently lived as lily and they were they lived together and they went everywhere together i get i get that it you know the film and and the book is meant to be like loosely uh based on you know lily and gerda's real life but it was it's such a bastardization
0: that's not the part you want to keep loose no okay i am whoo i'm fully triggered i mean even the moment that you see, the, these winning moments that you see with Gerda, it even, even without knowing that, was such a small pittance for the two hours that you go through, that the fact that they could have added this other element and still had the quality of performance with Alicia Vikander is just a crime. A couple other things that I had notes on were that first moment, the first stalking moment, with Ula, when she names her Lily.
1: (laughs) We're going to call you... Lily.
0: That's something that... I really, really got to me because it reminded me of those not confirm or deny moments in my early transition, like somebody would say the appropriate gender and I'd be like, oh, you know, like I didn't want to say, yes, yes, I am a man now. But that little gender confirmation that just gives me a little thrill, I did feel like even just with the angle of the camera and everything, there's a lot of cinematic success going on there that worked on me. And I I do think that the movie generally makes, does a really good job of making the story intimate so that you feel, even as you're processing that it's Eddie Redmayne, you feel this intimacy with the character most of the time. I actually think I feel it less in the last half of the movie, which is really unfortunate. But as Ina leaves, it's like that perspective leaves and... Gosh, yeah. Not mm. great. <laughs> yeah. Not not great for us to go along with the journey, sort of, of them being different people and have that felt in the editing. Just thinking about the idea of embracing gender and leaving something behind. There is less of an element of that now in transition, but embracing The identity of it is the morsel that I think she really understood. She was like, I'm a new person in the sense that that other person didn't have this level of confidence, this level of peace. So there's elements where I'm like, yeah, I get where she's coming from, but there's definitely no correctivity or um, little uh, understanding for the modern audience. And maybe there's no place for it. But there's definitely nothing in this movie that makes me feel like a real modern sense of transness, even though I do think that the cis filmmakers thought that it had that in Alicia Vikander. I'm pretty sure they were like, yeah, this is us. And, uh, you know, your <laughs> your uh, friend who has a newly transitioned spouse or whatever, she feels just like Alicia. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of vibe. I felt like they were really communicating to a not- modern audience through that this character or they felt like they did
1: yeah I I always wonder though because like I I can see those tokens of effort definitely and and in fact the moment that um I don't know if this is a quote from the diaries or if it was just invented for the film but when you talked about earlier like in the film when they had this moment where they're at a party and someone jokes that they're going to go home and smash (laughs) yeah (laughs) and she and Gerda says the first time I kissed Quote unquote, Einar, mm-hmm. I felt that I was kissing myself. Oh my God. Right. And obviously, yeah. we know how how this story is going to go and we know what it's about. So, I think that was like quite a nice e- effort to mm-hmm. kind of that was one of the very small, tiny, almost like almost slightly forgettable tokens that they tried to put in there. There was much more about the personality or the energy of this or the spirit of the person.
0: Right, exactly. And that's good screenwriting. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the moments that are most uh, deftly done are definitely the finest screenwriting moments here. Where it gets clunky, feels it feels more directional. I do want to say I do think there's a, a lot of value in telling this story. It We quote Jen Richards on this podcast a lot because she is such a badass, but in Disclosure, she talks about you know, not having to perform transness as a trans actor and how that frees the performance to do other things. But she also talks about the fact that if there were more trans narratives, we wouldn't be so picky about one or two of them that we didn't particularly like the approach of, and that would allow artists to just, to just be artists. Even, sure. in, even in my own work, when people go, mm, why'd you do that? Problematic fave characters are a huge thing in my work. Characters saying faggot that we love.
1: I got a message from your faggot ass last night, crying like a little baby, saying shit like you're a piece of shit. Since when have you been talking to yourself like that? I don't know. Well, you're a fucking loser if you do.
0: That kind of thing, I think, should be able to be encompassed. That John Waters, you know, is, is in queer cinema just as this movie is in queer cinema. So I I think there's a place for it. And um, one of the solutions definitely is more. But hey, let's let's go together to the uh, 2050 Danish Girl remake.
1: (laughs) See what it is. I think it's very generous to suggest that we've got that long before they're going to recycle it.
0: (laughs) That's so true. And that is one of the reasons that on this podcast we do uh, the recast game. I'm really excited because uh, obviously we were not consulted, believe it or not. Harris and I were not consulted about the casting on The Danish Girl, Um, their mistake. I'm sure that uh, among the two of us, we can figure out a couple of our sisters who could have played this uh, pretty, pretty well. Would you like to throw out some of your picks first?
1: Um, I think the really obvious choice for me would have been Jamie Clayton.
0: Yep. I but got Jamie on there.
1: <laughs> I also feel like you could do a really, really accurate and yet modern interpretation. And I, I would love to see Laverne Cox in everything.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Yes. So I have Laverne and Jamie Clayton as well. No way. Um, Yes. Because Laverne, again, like she, she's been around long, a long time in the, in terms of acting. So there's something that people don't appreciate about the decades of experience in acting a lot of the time. And Eddie Redmayne has that, but Laverne's got that, too. We have those people, too. Alexandra Gray is another great example, uh, Cand- uh, Candace Kane, um, and even Jamie, Jamie Clayton. Um, so, yeah, I think those are really great picks. I also uh, starred um, Hari Neff because I think she has a great aloofness <laughs> that would play in with Lily. Also, Jesse James Keitel. I actually got a chance to watch her up close doing PA work on an AFI film, and she's she's the real deal. So honestly, if they did remake this in 10 years, I would be looking at Jesse James Keitel for this role. And I, I just wrote down, you know, that just some quick notes. I would keep Ben Wishaw because he's queer already, so I don't want to fire him. I'm inviting Tom Hardy onto the set as Hans because I need Tom Hardy on the set. Um, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> he's the love of my life. And I want the doctor to be Brian Cranston because I think that would be really funny. Do you know Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad?
1: Oh, is, does he play the older guy? Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, also Amber Heard, I'm just replacing um, with Mila Kunis as her Black Swan character. For laughs
1: yeah <laughs> not a
0: lot of comedy in this movie and you know i get lost without it Harris. so yeah um, so you know that would round out our cast this 40 million dollars is practically burning a hole in our pocket and i know you you texted me uh last week saying that you just didn't know what to do with your half so um <laughs> we're getting it in motion i'm creating the pitch deck after this meeting so um nice. i'll give you a call but uh, we'll move move along to our Gender Icon Award, of course. We, we do an award on the show, very broad category. Gender uh, journey, gender icon, somebody that really made you feel, feel like they were iconic in whatever their expression was.
1: I mean, despite how the role was written, I actually felt the strongest about Gerda's character. Yes because I feel that whilst later on she got to a point where she was upset and she was like, I want to see my husband. And then she goes to Hans for a quick kiss because she's like, I need to feel a man, (laughs) which, you know, I, I don't buy that part. But up until that point, I really felt that she was so strongly in her own gender and in her own self that she was still her no matter what was going on around her. And when Lily started to explore being her authentic self, I felt that Gerda was still exactly who she was. And she, you know, she still sort of supported Lily and was like, Oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you come to the party in a dress? Like, you know, and then would in private, even when there was no audience was still kind of trying to touch her in a validating way. And, Yeah, I just I I think that out of everybody, you know, aside from the bits of um, kind of plot and script that I would quite happily set fire to. (laughs) Apart from that, I I think she did a really good job. I think that the the character was strong and I think in real life, probably stronger.
0: Yes. And I, you know, I I would be remiss not to give it to Gerda as well. I, I felt that really she didn't care about what her spouse, what her best friend was, she really wanted Lily to be happy. And that, that is the kind of cis thought that will set you free, y'all. Um, if you just want your, uh, trans friend, your trans loved one to be happy and to have all the same kind of pursuit of happiness that you do as a human being, that I don't think it's, e- I don't think it's hard, you know, to take, uh, Uh, page from Gerda's book so that uh, that is the gender icon award doubled up for Gerda today congratulations to her and Alicia I'm sure that I'm going to try to get in contact with her but I'm sure it'll be just as important as the Oscar that she won for this I want to thank you, Harris. I just have enjoyed knowing you so, so much and being on your pods, listening to your pods. I want you to know that you were one of my pod inspirations for this podcast and just the professionalism, especially that even when you sent me the assets, I was like, oh shit, you gotta have your shit together. Okay. All right. So I, (laughs) I, I learned so much about that from you and I want to thank you for that so much. Is there anything that you would like? You're welcome. Is there anything that you would like to plug?
1: I guess my podcast yes <laughs> um I I have two the first one is now finished there's three seasons it's called the transaction podcast and jo- the lovely Jonathan of course you were a guest on there and um I would just like to give a little funny backstory that I never thought I would become a podcaster <laughs> or that I would perform or that I would do anything like this and the whole reason I got started was because another trans friend and I were exchanging funny penis stories. And it really, (laughs) it kind of, you know, it kind of set the tone for for actually something that has ended up being a big part of my life. So uh, it's funny. And I think think similarly to you, Jonathan, like comedy's Comedy's a big thing for me. And also kind of being wholesome and looking at intersectional things and, you know, kind of um, appreciating the, complexity of situations and people and not boiling everything down to one little soundbite but instead to kind of introduce these really complex uh conversations so I did that for three years uh no not three years two years three seasons in two years and um I gave up all of my intersectional work uh in August of 2021 had a little think about it and I've kind of come back to something similar but with a kind of spiritual empath edge particularly because there's so much misinformation about empaths going around at the moment I haven't had too much of a run-in with her which I'm very pleased about but the little I have seen from people like Teal Swan talks about Mm -hmm. empaths is just being an empath is a euphemism or like another name for people who have childhood trauma Mm -hmm. which is like they often can go hand in hand but sure. they're not the same thing at all yeah and so i kind of wanted to kind of change my platform more towards that of course it's still intersectional in its values and the way that we approach everything um but you know and but it's also joyful and it's still sort of bringing awareness to lots of different things and to kind of help us to be better empaths or sensitive people if we are kind of socially spiritually and um, you know, sensitively minded. So that's the new, uh, podcast is the empaths revolution podcast. And, um, yeah, that's my, my main project right now.
0: Amazing. Well I encourage everybody to take a listen. Thank you again, Harris. Of course, as you just mentioned, being uh passing penis <laughs> penis memes or whatever <laughs> um back and forth with your with your friend. That reminds me, of course, that you can watch Bombshell, my show um that stars <laughs> A superhero flying penis as your ghost penis for our trans character. And if you've never heard of a show that discusses any of what I just talked about, then you're probably right because that really doesn't exist. So go to watch Bombshell, links in the description. And uh also follow, like, and subscribe this podcast and listen every single Wednesday. We're gonna be here. And thank you again, and we're out.
1: Look what I got.
0: You... uh, Is that gel? Do you put it under your arm?
1: No, it goes on your love handles.